Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. Today we have on Andy Alford. Andy previously worked at the EIS as a strength conditioning coach in 2006 to 2012. He also worked uh, in badminton, um, eventually going full-time with badminton and ended up being an Olympic team leader for London in 2012. Since retiring from SNC, semi-retired since, still currently works as at Northampton Trampoline and Gymnastics Centre. He's also an SNC coach for the Wimbledon Junior Tennis Initiative at the All England Club. He also supports uh, for Paralympic swimmer leading up to Tokyo. He's worked with various sports, which includes women's rugby, athletics, golf, squash, women's football, cricket, netball, basketball, wheelchair basketball, trampoline and swimming. Um, also body, able-bodied and Paralympic, cycling and triathlon. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks for having me, Chris. No problem. How's your, how's your day been so far? Not too bad, thank you. It's been been all right today. I've had, uh, like you, we were just chatting just off off uh, podcast. It's uh, quite a exhausting time, and some yeah. days are ridiculously long, and some are some are easier. So I yeah. think uh, starting to see the light for the trees. But that's it. So how would like to start this, Andy? Is then just uh, obviously I touched on a bit your background there. So if you just give me a more in-depth sort of background yourself and how you got involved in SNC and and specifically racket sports as well maybe yeah sure um so I originally uh with with most people did my sports science degree in 1993 to 96 uh was at the University of Brighton it's in its Eastbourne campus and we were we were very very lucky with the lecturers that we had there uh, so there's quite a few of us that, that went on to come into applied sports so we had the likes of Peter Keane there who was um, sort of architect of the UK sports system. Uh, we had a, a couple of um, good psychologists, Steve Ball, um, and a PhD student at the time was Chris Shangbrook, who's done a lot with rowing, um, a guy called Rob Harley, who's still there lecturing, uh, Joe Doust. Uh, so some really good people that actually went and done some practical sports science support. Uh, I was also lucky in my A-levels, um, Professor Greg White, who you know does quite a lot of stuff, he was my A-level sixth form teacher, so uh, he does a lot with comic relief and sort of, uh, his master's a celebrity trainer, which is so much more than that, and does does lots of really, really good work, very applied work, was Olympian yeah. himself, uh, so really sport there, didn't know really what, what exactly what I wanted to do, um, got a job as a fitness instructor, personal trainer, and a very posh health club in London, uh, literally handed in my sort of last essay and then drove and started work. Uh, was there for a few years, got really cheesed off with sort of the commercialization of it all and, and uh, didn't have a particularly good general manager that took over and decided just wanted to leave. Wasn't, wasn't doing anything in my degree, ended up being fitness manager, but, but you know, it just was like, just make us money. I wanted to do more than that. So uh, a job come up at the University of Hertfordshire, this year and uh, my boss there at the time, Nick Brooklyn, is now director of sport at Cambridge University. Uh, he, you know, he said to me, two-thirds of your job description was not written. Uh, University of Hertfordshire was just starting a sports science degree, uh, just starting a sports therapy degree. Um, a guy called Ian LePage was on my panel that was uh, looking to help set up the English Institute of Sport, a trial period. So I kind of yeah. got brought in and, and helped out with that. So I started working there and as, as a little bit of my job started to doing some strength conditioning work with women's rugby at the time. They were the, the first ones that started. Yeah. Um, and then that grew and grew and grew. 
so I ended up doing about 12 hours a week for the EIS uh, around that that sort of region uh, around Hertfordshire. Um, had loads of that's why it sounded like I, I worked with loads of sports. We used to like work with lots of different athletes. Yeah. And then a job we won London in in 2006, uh, and then um, a job come up at uh, uh, the Milton Keynes Badminton Centre, uh, sort of as regional lead. So I went for that, got that job, was there for for six years. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Um, finished in London. And then, like I say, semi-retired now, keep keep my uh, hand in a little bit, doing some stuff. And then, um, you know, badminton wasn't my sport, but that was just the one that uh, was sort of the main focus at Milton Keynes and in, and in the region. So, yeah, that was, that's kind of a bit of a whistle-stop tour through uh, career, I suppose. All right. Yeah, that sounds very productive and a lot of interesting things happening there. Yeah, it's quite, yeah. It's quite a lot. Been, been, been lucky, I think. Been lucky yeah. with people I've, I've managed to... Um, not rub shoulder with or learn from as well for, from at uni as, as well as, you know, a very good friend of mine um, uh, was the director of science at the EIS as well, a guy called Steve Ingham that's, that's doing a lot with athletes. So we always chat a lot, you know, we're really good friends. Um, so, you know, sometimes surrounding yourself with some great people um, is, is really useful. Yeah. So obviously we touched on there previously just a minute ago about um racket sports so what's what's your experiences with racket sports then Andy and obviously we can maybe break it down into the ones we mentioned the squash and the badminton and obviously you had some full-time experience with badminton so can we start there yeah um well if I go back a step probably when I was at the University of Hertfordshire one of sort of the, the key bits of work we worked with um uh, a guy called Mike James, who was a tennis coach at Goslin Tennis Centre. Um, and they've got a really great programme and it's moved on since, since I was involved. But it was great working with him, um, really innovative, uh, what he wanted to do. Um, and I ended up sort of helping support some of their performance athletes as well. Um, but he was great because he was just, he didn't want to just sort of say, well, here's some money, go and spend some time with Andy. He really wanted to develop their whole programme. Um, so we come up with a program stolen from um, uh, University Electrical Pride. Um, and it was uh, Pride stood for personal responsibility in developing excellence. Okay. And, and we, we, we wanted to try and make sure the athletes didn't just do their sessions with, with us. They would go out and do other, other things. So we looked at physical, technical, tactical and psychological components and, and come up with things for them to do them. So that was really useful. Um, I then worked with a few squash players as well. Um, so, um, so some, you know, uh, we're very good at squash in this country. So some, some of the athletes on performance programs, uh, that was really interesting. You know, squash players work bloody hard. Um, oh, yeah. there's sort of an overall theme, I think for any tennis squash and then into badminton is the fact that they will kind of, uh, elongate their, their training. So they'll, they'll make things harder by making it longer. And I, I sort of went in with badminton, not really knowing much and asking some, some pretty simple questions saying average rally lengths last six to 10 seconds. Yeah. Where do you do that bit of work? You know, that's the, you know, that's, that's a really high intensity work, but everything I see is two, three minutes long, you know, and yeah. squash used to make me laugh and they say, yeah, we're going to do a speed session. And then you look at it, it's like, yeah, a, you know, a minute shadow on and off or something. And you're like, yeah, probably not quite hitting the speed components that, that you really want to if you want to get faster because you're just gonna have to drop your intensity so 
some underlying themes uh, with them, but it's it's uh, it's fascinating. It wasn't my sport. I played basketball, but actually that's quite useful because I think then you, you kind of come in and just look at it with a, a clean pair of eyes. Yeah, um, definitely. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that as well later on. So it was like sort of like an outside view then from squash and badminton with being involved in the other sport, the basketball, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was, but it's just, you know, if you, you know, we're all labelled with assumptions in, in, you know, everything in, in, in work, you know, people yeah. really listening to this and we'll make an assumption about me and you and, you know, we, yeah, we've yeah. got that. And to try and come in with sort of fresh pair of eyes all the time, I think it's quite useful. You know, I just didn't know anything about the sport really. I played a bit of badminton, yeah. I've been around with other sports. And then you start breaking it down and go, oh, hang on a minute, you know, like you would think logically about the game. Well, this this is a real thing, you know. These average rally lengths are six to ten seconds. You know, what, how how do you train that? You know, when do you train it? Yeah. I don't see it, um, and that was really interesting. And and the coaches, you know, it was all quite. You know, we're talking this was two thousand and six to two thousand and twelve. So, you know, that the high performance system and having support stuff wasn't wasn't really in its maturity at that stage. It was, you know, a lot of a lot of those coaches that were athletes and then coaching hadn't done a mass amount of sports science or if they did it was go somewhere and it didn't matter what sport you would do you know you go through a vo2 max test so you know yeah height, jump height blah blah blah. it was very standard and then go yeah. off and then we'll test you again in three months um you know nothing against that stuff but it, it, it's ramped up so they i don't think they knew how to use it so i had to be very careful in questioning basically you know their deep-seated beliefs about how they trained how they saw yeah other countries train how people get yeah. better yeah. so we're sort of scratching away and, and trying to do it in a very sort of non-aggressive way to sort of go well i'm the you know sports science guy I, I understand all this stuff you know um i know all these rules that you're breaking you know it, it's not i know best it was it was a few months of sitting there having lunch listening to the coaches understanding what they were doing and then you could kind of go in and say oh, i've noticed this you know when do you do that and how do you do that and um you yeah. know, it's it it was it was hard to try and change things. I didn't didn't nail everything anyway. Um, so I, I've got a couple of examples of that if you want to go through that. But um, yeah, that that was sort of it. Really helped having a fresh pair of eyes. I think. Yeah. So I think we can maybe touch on there. We can kind of maybe ask you about. Obviously, you worked in the badminton centre full time with different types of coaches, and obviously you've talked about. Obviously, what would you say the comparison to? Um, the training styles of this country, the UK, compared to other countries um, with sports science? Yeah, well, it, it's sort of evolving. It's fascinating to, to see. Um, and, you know, we, we had so the five different disciplines in badminton, men's and women's singles, men and women's doubles, and then mixed. And we're very good in the mixed category. Um, and you know, within that, I would have at least five different coaches I'd work with. And then you've got sometimes pathway coaches that are different uh, and, and, you know, coaches that are top of their game and, and have a real, um, you know, real philosophy about how they want to do things. Uh, we had some English coaches or British coaches. Uh, and then we also had um, a couple uh, over the years, some from China, some from Malaysia, um, and, you know, a lot of the work that they do is really high volume, but badminton is their sort of number one sport, um, you know, in some of the countries. So they have lots of people in their halls. Um, 
and that you know they train them very hard you know if we looked at it you just think crikey you really really push those athletes you know and, yeah. and and again all those biases from probably somewhere like china where we think oh my god you know they're just gonna hammer everyone and we kind of say you know when i first started I was like well that's okay they can do that because they've got you know they, they break someone they've got someone waiting in the wings just as good you know we've got you know 40 and, and probably in the end it was probably even less you know 20 to 30 athletes in that hall and that's all we you know we've got there's not a massive pipeline always coming through this it sort of ripples yeah. in rather than you know hundreds coming through yeah, yeah. And, and i suppose that made us always be a bit more protective and, and think about them from an injury point of view and it'd be very and, and we used to rubbish their training all the time because it was just hard you know it was yeah. just like you know their agility stuff was was up and down the hall you know doing more of a conditioning session than it was agility but that's what they yeah. termed it so it was easy to rubbish it but um you know there's there's some elements that that we should learn from it as well because actually what they did have when they you know when they did probably play games and the and the performance environment that they've got you know they were competing you know they had some of the people that maybe number one in the world versus number two so you yeah. can imagine you know when when they went and scrimmage those those uh, matches were you know were bloody hard and, and yeah, were, yeah. you know really great level and they learned to do a lot of stuff under you know under fatigue but then they learned to do their skills under fatigue as well so you know there's bits of it you can't rubbish it all because actually you know it, it it's not just an athlete factory that there, there is some stuff in there that they um you know they do that's really really good yeah um, but I, don't, I think when I first started I was very much yeah it's a load of rubbish it's just hard you don't understand yeah. it you know they would knacker people in the hall and then you know send them in to me to do a gym session I just think well there's no quality we're going to get out of this I just want them to go and rest yeah um, so it, it was at times very frustrating and then I worked with some great coaches a guy called Andy Wood who was our Olympic coach uh, fantastic really looked at athletes from a holistic point of view um loved challenge to be challenged loved uh, for us to talk about things explore new ideas yeah um scratch away at this sort of six to ten second type thing and how do we how do we get that so yeah. we did a lovely um a lovely uh sort of piece of work on uh talking about what's the most important things in the game so yeah. for, so for me, i was trying to influence the coaches around changing uh, some of their training, not all of it, because you have to do that sort of skill acquisition, ingraining skill stuff, but yeah. trying to get, trying to do it at a higher intensity. And we talked about the athletes um, uh, sort of doing these high intensity stuff. And we talked about sort of serving and we said, you know, uh, how important serving out of a scale of one to 10. So we kind of use the health and safety audit. Yeah. Uh, and the coach would say, well, it's 10 out of 10. It's so important. And then you say, how often does it happen? And you say, well, 100% of the time. So you go, I go, okay, so it's, it's high importance, happens all the time. Multiply the two together, it's really important. Go, yeah, 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 so important. It's like, well, how often do you train that? Like, yeah, not very often. And then you go, right, so when, when we do two-minute rallies, how important is those? Yeah. One thing. And they might say, well, it's a three or a four, because, you know, sometimes momentum switches, you win a long rally, it's great. Then you can win a couple of, you go on a bit of a run, then three or four points. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. So, so not that important, but you know, I, I get what you're saying. And how often do you, do you train those? Um, sorry. How often does that happen in a match? And they'll be like, well, not a lot. So you go, actually, it's not that important. And, no, not really. It was like, how often do we train that? Like all the time. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was just trying to find different ways to do, 
um, you know, nudge people into um, into different ways of, of, yeah. of thinking and, and trying to make a slight difference. So I think this is a big part of the game. We're not training uh, from an intensity point of view. How can we do that? And you know, first of all, I need to let the coaches know that that uh, or win them over before we, we we can implement anything. Yeah. So moving on to um, conserving energy within athletes, obviously. Yeah. discussed this before um, so what changes did the athletes that you work with make to conserve energy even in training or even in matches yeah so um, probably a couple of points to pull out here so we had a really good example um, at uh, I think it was either World Championships or our All England um, and two of our men's doubles play players played a match against a Korean pair and they've both come off, and they, I'll probably put them down as our fittest players. You know, they were sort of, um, sort of maturing athletes, sort of 23, 24 at the time, I think. Uh, walked off the court and just went, oh, we're so knackered. And they lost the game in three sets. And they were up yeah. in the first set, really on top of it. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, if, if, if we're not surviving through them, you know, what, you know what, what, what's going on? Yeah. And so one of the things that, that we looked at was... Um, when we pieced it together and looked at the stats, the game went on for like an hour and 20 minutes, but actually the shuttle in play was about 11 minutes worth of time. And then we started to look a little bit further. Um, and it wasn't just me saying, oh my God, you know, it's not me because I'm the fitness guy and they're moaning about fitness. It was yeah. like, okay, that's what else can we do? So what, when we started to look in at, the, at the match, the way they played was they, they had to attack everything. So the Koreans were really good at defence. So they just stood there for, for the first half of the match, just like defending. And all you're yeah. really using is wrist extensors to get the shuttle back. Yeah. And then we were having to like hammer, you know, smash and smash and smash again, you know, three or four times, which are, you know, the high energy movements yeah. uh, to get the shuttle on the floor. And then in between points, one of the guys was like celebrating like he'd won the whole sort of tournament. Yeah. And again, just sort of seemed like wasting energy. And then, um, and then over time, they obviously sort of, it's like a heavyweight boxer, punched themselves out. And then the other guy just stepped up and then they just went for the kill. So, you know, set and a half, we were winning. Then suddenly it, it turned and the Koreans just stepped up because we were a bit more tired because we'd, we'd like done such high intensity work. And that was that. So we got together and then started to look at, well, what things could we do? So it was, you know, partly me. Well, what could we do to get more fitter, um, you know, uh, in all the different components? But we then start to look at, well, tactically, how could they play a bit different? Yeah. And then psychologically, what could they do to conserve energy between points? So if you look at really great players in lots of sports, and if you if you go and, and um, you know, best examples probably are someone like Federer in tennis or Serena. You know, Serena, you know, it, it's been interesting. I was lucky enough to go and watch, watch uh, her live at Wimbledon. And my wife's like, God, she's so lazy. But in between points, you know, she just shuts down. Yeah. And then, then she goes again and then shuts down. You know, she just ambles around the court. Federer's similar. He does shut down, but maybe not as obvious as Serena. Yeah. And, and that's a real skill in itself. You know, that's a, as well as a physical skill of, of saving energy, it's a psychological skill of yeah, so, coming down between points and going yeah. back up. You never and then switch on and off. Yeah, it's, it's hard, isn't it? You know, so if you look at that in a in a you know in a match, say like it was a really tight match in badminton, scores up to twenty one, 
20, you know, and if it's really close, you've got 20, 40, 60, 80, you know, you could have 120 times when you're up and down in a match. Yeah. Uh, in between, then you have breaks and all sorts of stuff. You know, it's it's a hard skill to do that. And then the other component was nutrition, you know, just making sure that, you know, that's another thing that, that you could bring into it. So it wasn't like, you know, a lot of time in sport, we want to find that one answer that really is like, right, it's fitness. Right, Chris, get yeah, fitter, yeah. you know, go yeah, run harder, do this. Yeah. And it might not just be that. It no. could be that. It could be that simple. Yeah. But it might be three or four things that would all come together to have more of a performance impact. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's really important. And the only other thing I'd say on the conserving energy point of view is we looked a lot about trying to make people's movement as efficient as possible as well. So you do get people that that you know are fast, but they they'll be fast. But not very efficient you know it's it's the first bit i did in tennis one of the guys said i need to get everyone quicker and i watched the kids and they were like yeah they're really quick because they get to that ball and they get it over the net the problem is they then take three or four steps because they can't actually slow themselves down yeah so then the ball comes on the other side so they're getting a speed stimulus all the time so actually what you want them to do is to be quicker at slowing down which will make them more efficient they'll put them in a better position for the next shot yeah which will then like, open up stuff so yeah, they're, they're the type of things that, you know, like I said earlier about thinking a bit differently and just not knowing yeah. the sport and just looking at it without looking at the outcome of the shot or anything, just from a physical point of view, sometimes useful. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think what we can talk about now, Andy, is probably I think we should move on to prehab and how mm. you talked earlier, you touched on a little bit about injury prevention uh, and reducing yeah. injuries. Um, how do athletes take to these sort of things if you, when you were working with them and saying to them, okay, we're going to do some prehab training? Um, how did they, you know, how, how did that work for you and how, what sort of things did you do and how did the athletes react to it? Yeah, most of the athletes hate it because it's not <laughs> performance orientated, you know, and it's not just prehab, you know, some just don't like the gym. And, and I think sometimes, you know, those where, um, or if I dare say, a naturally really good athletes mm-hmm. um, and don't need to, you know, you know, haven't never squatted in their life but can still jump 60 centimetres or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're, you know, they're fine. You get away with it when you're long, uh, young. But um, badminton's a violent sport on the body and over time it does catch up with them, you know, because yeah. it's not, not the fact that jumping 60 centimetres, that's not when you get injured. It's when you land is, you know, when the injury stuff happens. Impact, yeah. So, so it's a hard thing to sell. So you do get some athletes that then, you know, had one uh, really good athlete, absolutely hated the gym, um, got injured. Um, it, it was some problems around uh, patella tendonitis. We did a load of work in the gym, absolutely loved it, really focused, knew that that was going to help her. Um, and then therefore, you know, sometimes, she, you know, later on, she was like, no, I'm not going to miss a gym session. I'd rather do that than badminton because I know this is going to help keep me on court. So yeah. the prehab stuff is really difficult because um, it's not performance stuff necessarily, or athletes don't don't view it that way, um, and and it's not a real. You've got to turn it into a carrot. So this is a sort of more of a stick. Do this, and you won't get injured. And you're going to have to walk athletes through that process to say, okay, uh, you know, racket sports, loads of stuff on external rotation. You know, you're going to always hit forward. Yeah. Um, shoulders going to get more developed one side than the other so we're going to try and do some injury prevention stuff uh especially around rotator cuff bits and then sitting there going right i just want to hit it harder why am i doing this bit and you go okay 
Where's where where's a real injury hotspot in your sport? Never like for shoulder. Okay, right. So if you're injured and you know we don't do this work, what can't you do? And they're like, okay, what well I can't train. Okay. If you can't train, then what don't you do? Like, well, I don't get better. If you don't get better, then what don't you do? I don't win matches. And if you don't win matches, you're not gonna fulfill your dream of becoming a world Olympic yeah, champion. Absolutely, that's and, it. and you do need to pull people through that sort of process to kind yeah. of go because we just think oh it's good stuff to do and we know it's great yeah but there's a really good phrase that um that dave redding had said once who's, who's done quite a lot with the 2003 rugby team was part of the boa but uh it was a really good phrase for injury prevention it's like no one's going to thank you for the problems they don't get yeah. so it's a real thankless task and if you don't think it's a performance it doesn't seem like there's any relevance to it um, yeah, and we won't we won't know if our athletes would have got injured or not. Um, yeah. but you know that's one of the big things, and it's ultimately linked to performance because then you just won't be able to do what you need to do. Yeah, so you would say then prehab's also a good a good way of promoting prehab is to use sort of um not sort of mindset as well. So kind of get the mindset focused on why they're doing it. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's, it's got to be more of a carrot than a stick. You know, the carrot yeah. is you, you can spend more time on, 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 on court, court and getting better. Yeah, you exactly. Know, that's it. It's, it's, yep. You know, it, it's not that because actually, you know, a badminton racket weighs 60 to 80 grams. Uh, if, I'm, if my memory serves me correctly, you know, uh, it, it's probably the quality and the technical aspects of how they hit it is going to be more than, than, you know, massive strength gains. You know, there is some yeah. stuff we can do in the gym and look at that, but it's probably you know how well you sequence your body and and, um, and uh, hitting the shuttle and timing stuff is going to be more prevalent than say uh, you know uh, you know getting your really strong upper body. And it's not just on the injury prevention. When I used to speak with athletes, the first thing I would do is draw a pyramid and say, um, you know, within a sport, the first thing we need to look at is your overall volume and health. So first bit I did with uh, some work I did with swimmers. And they do high volume anyway. And then this guy was like, I want to add three land training sessions in yeah. to the nine they already do. Yeah. You go, right, okay, but we need to be careful. And it's not just physical volume, it's as you will well know, it's wider volume in life, it's yeah. full work, it's you know, yeah. whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. It was like we need to be careful that so we need to manage that because again, if they're sick, what can't they do? They can't get in and swim and when they don't get better blah 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 mm. the next level up is injury prevention and we know certain sports will cause certain injuries so again we need to take that into account to keep them healthy yeah. to be able to do the sport then you want to do some base fitness work that, that's good foundation for then finally to do the top of the tree to do all the sexy work that you want to do power development speed yeah you know, whatever it is in the sport yeah and I think, you know, probably all of us, when we first started, we want to jump to that bit and, you know, throw med balls around and, you know, do power cleans or you know, biometrics. And, yeah, and unless yeah. you, you know, if you haven't taken those others into account, your athlete's going to probably end up being broken pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and we know we've got to build all those capabilities. So, yeah. you know, it's a good thing to think about as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think now moving on to squash then, Andy, um, if you could talk a little bit about your experiences with squash uh, players and athletes you've worked with, and maybe if you've done any prehab with them, injury prevention, um, any coaches you've worked with in the squash area as well? Yeah, not so much coaches. Um, this was at a time, so it's really interesting, uh, just as an aside. So when the EIS first started out, a lot of it was we want to be um, 
everywhere for athletes, no matter where they are. And as you would have seen over time, it's become more specialised at centres. So, yeah. so for us, you would say, well, if there's an athlete out in the East region in Norwich, which was two and a half hours from where I was, it was like, we will offer support there for them. But as you see over time, I think we've got more and more specialist support. So yeah. at the time, I probably worked least with squash coaches, but worked with some quite mature athletes. There was, um, uh, was a guy who was top 10 in the world. Uh, there was uh, a female athlete, again, was um, uh, probably top five in the world at that time. Um, and again, re really great people to work with. Um, but a lot of it was trying to sort of calm their volume down. You know, squash mentality, yep. you may know more than me from, from uh, <laughs> your working day. So I might turn it back on you a little bit about your experiences in squash. Yeah. But, you know, everything was, was like, you know, just need to work hard, grind out wins. And, you know, the game seemed to be evolving a bit quicker, you know, but it is more badminton change where before you'd have to win your serve back to win a point and games could go on for, you know, hours yeah. and days. And then the yeah. scoring system swapped it slightly. So it was a bit more shorter and sharper. Squash was still want to work really hard. Um, you know, a lot of people carrying sort of injuries, you know, the tour pretty difficult as well. Same as badminton. Yeah. It's even worse now. You could literally go to a tournament every week if you want to, you know, around the world. And so really the philosophy with most of them was doing, um, was, was to just get them very, very strong. And within that, there was elements of sort of prehab bits, but yes. you know, just making sure that they were, and, and it was funny, you know, even just doing something you would think they would be brilliant at, because again, they're, you know, you're talking 15 years ago, potentially, you know, they hadn't done a lot of gym work. So you would think they'd be brilliant at split, split squat, for instance, and, you know, because they're in and out of lunges, but, yeah, you know, it wasn't particularly good. They hadn't thought, but they're great at that movement on the court, slow it down. It was great. So we systematically tried to load them in those movements to give them a little bit more protection yeah. when they do lunges. Yeah. I mean, throwing it back on you, I mean, what's your, you, you, you were a squash player, weren't you, as well? And, and you know, yeah. how, how do you, how do you think, you know, what's the differences between some of the other sports? I think you've yeah. done, dabbled with a bit of badminton and so um, yeah, I still am a squash player, um, just not at the moment with this yeah, everything going on at the moment, but um, it's kind of taken a stop for a while. But um, yeah, so I think when I was younger and I was training and stuff and started playing squash and um, it was, I was more focused on instead of going and doing weights, I was more focused on, okay, I'm going to run, I'm going to do cardio, yeah. stick to the cardio because you think, okay, this is when I had less experience in fitness and, and hadn't done the degree and stuff as well. So I didn't have the knowledge, I suppose. Um, and I hadn't uh, gotten in touch with anyone that had experience with squash at all. Maybe, um, well, my father got me into squash and he had some experience as well. Um, but yeah, I would think as I got more into it, I realised you need to be stronger in the body and the muscles need to be stronger uh, so you can your body can take the impact and the force that's, that's put under with these quick movements on on court. I mean, you're pretty much, you can be turning every such way, every five seconds, yeah. you know, and it's, it's such a quick sport and twist and turn. And and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a very all-round sport with for physical fitness aspects. There's a lot of aspects to take into consideration. So flexibility for one, endurance, yeah. speed, stamina, uh, 
power, even power as well. We are we are rackets. So when you're playing your shots, you've got to take that into consideration. So you really have to be an all-round sort of um, physical when you're when you're training. You need to train a lot of aspects, like any sport. But I mean, it's a really. I might just love it. I mean, I just love the sport as well. I mean, that's that's what got me into you know when I was so young. But I, I'll I'll try and play for as long as I can. As you say, yeah. that work hard mentality is still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, I mean, it's a great quality, but it's also one that can be sort of, uh, you know, can hold you back slightly because, you know, if you take all the different fitness components, what we're trying to do, aren't we? You know, like you said, you mentioned power, endurance, strength, mobility, flexibility, you know, different things up, you know, eccentric strength going in and out, yeah. lunges and blah, blah. Yeah. You could break it down into anything. And what we're trying to do, you know, what, what you see athletes do culturally and, and what you want to do is, is, you know, there's a mosaic of all these different things that could kind of go in there and you need to take out the components. So if you want to take out and look at strength, you need to take it out, amplify it, work yeah. it hard and then put it back in. Yeah. The problem is what I tended to see training in lots of sports is exactly like, right, actually what we'll do is we're just, we're not going to do game pace stuff and we're not going to work harder. We're just going to work longer because actually, you know, if I can do a bike session for, an hour and 30 i can last on a squash court but actually if your opponent's clever and getting you in and out of a lunge um you know 300 times a match i'm making these statistics i have no idea but yeah. you've got no strength that's how you're going to get knackered it doesn't matter how good your heart and lungs are you, you know your 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 strength is just going to disappear that way or you're going to have to lower your intensity to try and cope with it and yeah. that was the other thing about economy of movement we had one guy who's again he was a scottish badminton player really nice guy works his socks off but he used to do what we call a jump lunge so he would he would um come forward and then rather than just sort of push off of his back leg and land into a lunge he used to sort of jump into it so he was sort of doing yeah. a, a single leg landing all the time yeah, yeah. imagine how much that takes out of you yeah definitely so, yeah. so we test everybody do bleep stuff strong in the gym blah 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 he's probably one of the fittest players put him on court he's going to get knackered because he's just doing yeah. You know all these jump lunges all the time so you know yeah. it's just trying to work out keep keep that critical eye going not just do the same thing yeah. look at the sport look at the individual so, um yeah i think i think what you had what, what you try to touch on here i think is you have to be evolving as a coach all the time yeah 100 um, and yeah. making sure you're not just okay i've done this for five years i'm going to keep doing this for five another five years yeah. because i think that that's I think it's definitely a key thing to as a coach or and as an athlete even as well you have to be evolving yeah. all the time because yeah, again yeah. if you want to get to that say that number one spot or that olympic medal or you know that league that, that league number one spot you need to be making sure you're ahead of the game yeah 100 percent. and and you know we touched on it slightly earlier sport is very cultural and you know you're going to work the further you go up you're going to work with people that have got pretty set ideas about what makes a winner mm-hmm. and, and what training makes a winner. And this is where, you know, the other bit you, you, you sort of, you know, us as practitioners need to evolve as coaches to then be able to, to start questioning and influencing programs. Yeah. And that may be not be more on technical knowledge. It may be more on our craft skills yeah. of being able to chat to a coach and yeah. Yeah. question what they're doing in, in a really non-invasive way where you know they don't feel threatened by the sports yeah. science guys and then yeah. you know, if they do they then rubbish you and then there's a big clash and it's yeah. you know it's, it's rubbish it's like 
high performance happen, you know, they're those conversations that happen that just spark and get those differences that are the one percenters that will move you forward. Not yeah. not just going, well, I know best because I'm the SNC coach and you should yeah. do things this way. No, absolutely not, no. Yeah, there's a way there. So I think one of the things I did was really, really good with the EIS. I, I ended up going on an executive coaching course um, and that was really, really quite good in terms of changing me as a practitioner, asking questions that, that were sort of non-threatening, really open um, and, and got, got stuff out of people as well, yeah. rather than just sort of going, are you doing it all wrong? I want you to do the speed agility work. You know, what you're doing in there is rubbish. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and it really helps sort of develop some of those relationships, not with everyone, but it did, that, that does help. So I would, I would, I would get people to look at not just keep going on the technical side, but also look at that craft skills and get more in your locker that way about how you, how you speak to people, listen to them, you know, paraphrase back, you know, all positive yeah. skills you get on a podcast as well. You know, it's uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 That's it. Um, yeah. So thanks uh, very much, Andy. How can you recommend, you know, any books or for athletes for, for maybe rack athletes um, that you've, you know, you've obviously worked with a few of them. Uh, over your time, have you recommended any books to them to you know to move them forward and like help evolve as an athlete in a racket sport? Yeah, nothing, nothing particular. Um, like I said, the best best conversations I had was in the gym. There's no, I, I think my reading list now is less on technical stuff and say go away and you know more about this or X, Y, yeah, and Z. Yeah. Um, it's more around you know things like uh, the book around growth mindset. Yeah. Um, yeah great book at the moment called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Okay. How you do that. Yeah. Um, anything that's more about developing you as a person, because yeah. as much as I said, you know, athletes got involved. Yeah. Coach, um, sorry, coaches got involved. Athletes do as well. So um, I'm working with someone at the moment and trying to put their responsibility on them to sort of say, you know, it's your program. You, you've got responsibility to work with that coach as well as yeah as, as them to work with you it's not all yeah. their fault yeah. you can't control that you know yeah, if you're absolutely. having a problem with someone you can blame everybody else but it's like how can you do it and that that then was some of the conversations i'd had in the gym uh-huh. uh you know in between sets with people to then say to them you know what what's really what's really useful uh how can you take control of this you know what what type of things have you tried already what assumptions are you making about them you know what control it yourself um, so that was probably more, yeah, there's no, no real sort of, here's the great book on, on, uh, on yeah. badminton or, or anything. It's, um, yeah. or other sports stuff. More of personal uh, development sort of thing. Like, you know, taking yeah. responsibility for, for your training and, you know, having a growth mindset of wanting to evolve all the time and being responsible for what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of, if you look at the pathway, the ideal pathway, it doesn't always happen like this. You want to start you start off with a really teacher pupil relationship so you know someone comes in the gym we will have to instruct them this yeah. is how you squat this is what you do blah 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 mm-hmm. that over time then turns into a coach athlete relationship yeah so um you know we, we can then start asking them right you remember what we talked about last week what's the thing i want you to do this week and think about yeah, or, yeah. it wasn't something quite right in that what was it and they start to take ownership and feel it so i used yeah. to ask the question all the time you know how did that feel and then they go, yeah, all right. And that was it. You know, it was just like, yeah, oh, I, I need to get better at this about, you know, uh, you know, 
not overcoaching and not trying to tell them everything I know about a power clean or a squat yeah, or yeah. you know foot placement, but enough in there to say, can you then know what's going wrong and what am I, what do I want you to do and how does it relate to performance and your on court stuff? Mm-hmm. And then finally, through that journey, you would then want to become uh, their mentor, really, and, yeah. and you know, or consultant, and, yeah. and and you know, they take ownership of their program. And then they're like, right, Chris, I want this from you. Um, how do yeah. I do this? Or I've been thinking yeah. about that. And sometimes some athletes, and, and I used to think, great, this is this is what we want to do, get them all the way through that. Some athletes, and I don't mean this harshly, it's just people are white, don't always want to go through that. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're not a great athlete. Sometimes they just want to be told stuff and in sort of sort yeah. more instruction. Yeah, yeah. You know, my, my will is I want them to go through that pathway. But yeah. if they haven't got the skills and capabilities, it may be fine keeping at that level. Or for some yeah. things, you might be their consultant. For other things, you're their teacher. And other things, yeah. you're their coach. And yeah. It's, it's, it's not this linear, no. lovely journey it's, it's you go on. Down, isn't it? Yeah. It depends, and depends on the person. You know, 100%. And it depends on context. It depends if they're in a pressure environment. They might go backwards as well yeah. and revert back to type and just say, look, just tell me stuff. You know, pressure's on. You know, you see that, don't you, coach, you know, in a timeout yeah. or something. Yeah. A coach will then go, right, you're in the midst of a game. Right, you do this and this and this. They go, okay, and then yeah. they execute. You know, other times yeah. it's, you know, it's you not like, oh, let's have a yeah. debate and see, see what's going on. It's like, yeah. got a big, quick decision. So, yeah, so that's interesting as well. Yeah. Um, so that's great, Andy. Where can people um, contact you if they want to get in touch and ask you any questions about anything we've spoke about today or any other questions they may have for you? Yeah, so um, uh, either through social media, I kind of, um, uh, vital, so I'm, not, I'm not a massive on, on social media, but um, I think my Twitter feeds, um, Andy Alford, or you can, uh, I, I don't mind people emailing me on my Hotmail account, which is andyalford at hotmail.co.uk. And Alford is with a double L, so that's what most people go wrong. But yeah, <laughs> yeah more than happy to speak to people and um, uh, especially around that craft skills and how people are developing as well. You know, got a, a good friend we've talked a lot about it um steve ingham i mentioned earlier yeah um uh, is running the supporting champions um uh business and uh he's also looking at developing practitioners and, and sees that as a big gap he's got loads of resources yeah um from, from finding jobs and you know getting your foot in front of the door to you know developing more of these uh craft skills because that's that's the gap that we see a lot of the time uh, and it's hard to come by sometimes as well yeah Okay, Andy, thanks uh, for coming on the show. My pleasure. And I hope some of my uh, ramblings help anybody. And um, uh, like I say, yeah, feel free to get in touch if if any of your listeners want to. That's great. Uh, That's another episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening. Please leave a review.